defining moments, an event that typifies or determines all subsequent related occurrences. That would be your academic definition. What you see on the screen is your visual definition. To put that in layman's terms, it's a fork in the road. Good people, as we live on this earth, we're blessed. God has blessed us with life. He's blessed us with many things in this life. But as we go through our time on this terrestrial ball, it is inevitable. It is simply a reality that we face defining moments of different sizes, of different varieties, different magnitudes, but each and every one of us face these defining moments. For example, we've got several of our young folk, if they were here tonight, there's a couple back there, but if our young folk were here tonight, we have several in the next couple of weeks that will be facing a defining moment. Their high school careers are over, and now they face the real world. And one of the first decisions or questions or moments to come into their mind is this thing about college. Do I go or do I not? If I decide to go, where shall I go? Am I going to stay close to home? Am I going to go away to some way that, that's far and exotic? Am I going to be a Motlow Buck? Am I going to be a Tennessee Volunteer? A Vanderbilt Commodore? Can't leave out the Lions from Freed Hardeman University. Where am I going to go? What am I going to study? Medical? Engineering? Financial? How am I going to pay for this? Is it a defining moment? Unquestionably, because it changes where you go for the rest of your life. After college, we come into this thing called a job. And as we, we enter our, our professional careers, we're faced with opportunities and jobs come before us and we have to make a decision. We have to decide, well, am, am I going to take this new job? What is it? Will I like it? Will I enjoy it? Will I be successful at it? What about the company? Are they a good company? What's the benefits? What's the salary? It can change your whole path. What about marriage? Unquestionably a defining moment. When you, when you reach that point in your life that you're considering marriage, there's all kinds of questions. Is this the one? Do, do they share my feelings? Are, are we ready for this? Does their family, do they like me? Do we share the same interest? Are we spiritually aligned? Don't think you can argue defining moment. Then, of course, after you take that step of marriage, you've got to start thinking about this thing, a house, a home. Where are we going to live? We're going to live in McMinnville? Viola? Newtown? Murfreesboro? Nashville? It's a big choice. And even the neighborhood, is it safe? What are the neighbors like? Will they... Will they like us? Will we like them? Can we, does this house fit our financial plan? And then there's this one. 
children. Typically, the first question is, are we crazy? But then we seriously start to think about it and say, are we ready? Are we prepared for this? Are we, will we be good parents? Are we financially stable? Folks, these are all those defining moments. They change our lives. But I'll submit to you, there's none that even approach the defining moment of our consideration of eternity. Now, now we talked about all those other things and there were lots of questions. Eternity, when we face that defining moment, there's really a pretty simple choice. It's heaven or it's hell. The Bible classifies it as paradise or torments. That is the defining moment. So as we come up on these moments in our lives, and as we just talked about, there's, there's, many times, there's lots of questions going through our minds and, and we have to think about these things. We, we have to contemplate them, meditate upon them. And, and, you, and you may find yourself standing and, and staring out across an ocean, a lake, a river, up in the mountains, on the back deck with a cup of coffee looking across the backyard. Wherever it is, you, you, you think about this and you come up with your decision, okay, this is what I want to do. And what's the very next question? What do I have to do? When I decide, how do I ensure that I am successful? College. Okay, I decide I'm going to go. Where am I going to go? What have I got to do? I've got to get good grades. I've got to prepare for the ACT. I've got to start looking at scholarships and grants and lots of things to think about. We think about the job that's in front of us. Okay, I think I want to go after this job. I want to interview for this job. So I research the job. I research the company. I prepare myself. I freshen up my resume. I ensure that I'm prepared to go in and impress them. Same thing with planning for marriage. You plan out how it's going to how it's going to play out. You plan the proposal. How everything's going to work. What about eternity? Do we plan that out? Do we know what we need to do? Well, obviously, if we, we study the Bible, it's, it's given to us, straightforward, without question, very plainly put. We hear the gospel. You've got to believe it. After believing the gospel, then you, then you have to be willing to repent, change your life, turn away from those things that are contrary to the teachings that we find in the New Testament. And when you're willing to, to make that repentance, then you can, you're willing to confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God and then be buried with Him in baptism, have those sins washed away, come up out of that watery grave, a new creature. Those are the things that we need to do. In the business world, quite simply, this is called a gap analysis. How do I get from point A to B? To use the title of our lesson, what do I lack? What is missing for me to be successful? So for the rest of our time tonight, we're going to look at this and analyze this looking at three examples we find in the Bible where we find individuals facing this defining moment, and in particular, the defining moment of eternity. 
And we're going to look at how they answer that question. What do I lack? And then we're going to see how they react to it. First of all, we're going to look at someone who decides to wait. And that's in the person of King Agrippa. Secondly, we're going to look at someone that faced that question and turned away sorrowful. And then lastly, we're going to note the one that faced this question and went away rejoicing. So I hope you've got your Bibles with me, and I'll ask you to turn with me over to Acts chapter number 25. Here we find the account of Paul going before Agrippa. To put some context behind this, Paul has already been before Festus. The, the, the priests, the, 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 the elders of the Jewish people had brought Paul before Festus and asked for a judgment against him. And that judgment was, we want him to die. We want him to die. And so, so Festus says, and I'm going to paraphrase this for, for time's sake, Festus says, well, that's just not the Roman custom. We don't get involved with these things and we definitely don't put someone to death unless the one being accused has the opportunity to, to face his accusers. And so he brings Paul before him. And, and he's rehearsing all of this to Agrippa. For you see, Agrippa and his, and his wife Bernice had come to visit Festus. And that was a very fortunate situation for Festus. And so he's sharing these things that happen. And he shares that, that when he brought Paul before him and he heard the accusations, accusations from the Jews, he's saying there's nothing in this man that's worthy of death by, by Roman law. As a matter of fact, this is a question over their own religion and particularly this one called Jesus whom the Jews claim is dead but Paul says is still alive. And he says, Paul, do you just want to go back to Jerusalem and have this heard? And Paul, being a Roman citizen, said, no, I, I want to go to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. And so Festus is holding him for that time before he sends him on to Caesar. Now, this arouses the curiosity of Agrippa. And so Agrippa says, I want to hear this man. I want to hear Paul. And so Festus says, absolutely, tomorrow you can hear Paul. So we look at the, the end of chapter 25 there, and we note that, that Agrippa and, and his wife, they arrive, and there's all this great pomp and circumstance, and there's lots of other dignitaries with them. And so after they've arrived, then we see Festus bring Paul out, and he kind of introduces the situation that we just talked about to all of these dignitaries. Here's Paul. He's been accused. They want him to be put to death, but there's nothing that I can see that's deserving of death. And oh, by the way, he appealed to Caesar, which is his right as a Roman citizen. And I, I'm going to, as Festus, I'm going to support that appeal. But I got this problem. I've got this situation. When he appeals to Caesar, and I'm going to take him to Caesar, I need to be able to say something to Caesar. And right now, I don't know what to say to Caesar because there's nothing worthy of him to be put to death. So... Agrippa, I need your help. And so, 
Paul now is given the opportunity to speak to Agrippa. He begins in chapter 26 by offering respect to Agrippa. He says, Agrippa, I'm I'm so thankful that I'm happy I get to speak before you today because you know all about these Jewish customs. You are an expert, by the way. Then in verse number 4 of chapter 26, we see Paul start to recite his life. He recalls his early life, how he was a Jew, not only a Jew but a Pharisee, and how that that he did all these things that were contrary to the name of Jesus, how that he had imprisoned saints, how that he had cast his vote against them to their death, how he had uh, punished them often. He goes on to say there in the Scriptures that he was exceedingly angry against them. Then he says in verse number 12, he kind of changes the conversation and he starts talking about his conversion. He says, and so I was on my way to Damascus with with authority to continue these persecutions. And while I was on my way, well, there was this light from heaven that blinded me and those with me and we fell to the ground. And, And I heard this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I asked, Lord, who are you? And you heard the name, I am Jesus. And not only did he hear the word, I am Jesus, he heard the mission that Jesus had for him. That that he would deliver him from the Jews, deliver him from the Gentiles. And the purpose being that, that he could carry the gospel to them, that he would be a minister and a witness to deliver them from that evil. Then in verse number 19, he starts talking about his life after his conversion. He He said... I obeyed that commission that was given to me. I I took the gospel. I delivered it. I delivered it in Damascus, in Jerusalem, in Judea, to the Gentiles. And Agrippa, this is why I'm being charged. He says there in verse number 22, I think a, a brilliant statement, and I'll read that to you. Therefore, having attained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to the small and the great, saying no other thing than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. So the interesting piece is, these elders, these Jews that were after Paul's life, well, their whole religion was placed upon the same things that Paul was preaching. The prophets and Moses. The one difference is he had accepted Christ as the Messiah. So we see in chapter 26 about verse number 24 that the closing arguments, if you will, start. But they start in a very unusual way. Paul is actually interrupted by Festus. Festus says, um, Paul... You're beside yourself. Uh, Much learning has driven you mad. So so Festus is is confused and accusing Paul of being a little bit off center. But then we see this defining moment approach. Let's read uh, verses 25 through 28. Paul responding to Festus says, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. But speak words of truth and of reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. Then he turns to King Agrippa. 
King Agrippa? Do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Folks, that's Agrippa's defining moment. Notice verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to be a Christian. So Agrippa looks at this moment. He considers eternity. Paul says, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. But what does Agrippa respond with? I'm going to wait. You almost convinced me, but I'm going to wait. Our audience is small tonight, but I just wonder. Is there one here tonight that's going to make that same answer when the invitation is extended? Do I believe? Yeah. But I think I'm going to wait. And here's the sad part. There's danger there. The Bible tells us how God views those that can't make that decision, that are indecisive, if you will. You consider what he said about the church at Laodicea over in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 15 and 16. He says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and you're neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You see, there's danger. Brother Leonard picked a song that's been going through my head the entire time I was preparing this lesson. The song says there's danger and death and delay. So can we come to the invitation tonight? Our prayer is you will not respond to that moment with a wait. Now let's look at Luke chapter number 18. As you turn there, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit. Luke 18 is, is an account that you actually have to look at three different accounts to get the full story. You have to look at Luke, you have to look at Mark, and you have to look at Matthew to get the full context of what is going on here. So I'll be referring to those different pieces to be sure we get the full picture. But as we look at Luke 18, we're introduced to this individual. It says in verse 18 that he is a ruler. classifies him as a certain ruler. So when we go over to the book of Mark and we look at that parallel account there, chapter number 10, verse number 22 we're told that this individual had great possessions. And then we look at Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 20, and we see him classified as a young individual. So who we're talking about here is someone that is a rich young ruler. And I know we hear that referred to all the time, but that's the case. So we know the individual. Let's look at his intent. You go back to Mark chapter 10, verse number 17. The Bible says he had this urgency because he came running to Christ. You look at Mark chapter uh, 17 just a couple of words later and it demonstrates to us his humility because it says he knelt down before him. You look at Luke 18 and 18, we see that he is sincere because he addresses Jesus as good teacher. So the individual has his intent. He has his purpose that he's after. Now let's look at the inquiry. Luke 18, 18. What's his question? 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's interested in eternity. Christ responds, well, you, you, you have to keep the commandments. And Brother David read them off to us. Notice what the young man said. He says, Luke 18, verse number 21, I've, I've kept these from, from my youth. But when we flip over to Mark 19, verse number 20, we see that he's still concerned. Because he says, all these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? So he was aware of his situation. He did not feel that he had done everything. So he asked the question, what else do I lack? And so we come to that moment. We come to that instant, if you will. Mark chapter 10, verse number 21, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. In Matthew 19 and 21, it says that he would have, uh, if you want to be perfect. So to be perfect to have treasure in heaven. This is what you need to do. There's only one thing. One thing that you lack. What did he do? The Bible says he went away sorrowful. He heard what he needed to do to answer that question. But friends, he wasn't willing to make that repentance that we talked about. He wasn't willing to give up those things of the world that were clinging to Him. He wasn't willing to take care of that one thing that He lacked. If you'll let me, I know this is, this is kind of talking about those that need to obey the gospel, but folks, this is applicable to us as Christians too. Have we let things, one thing, pull us off of our path? When we consider our lives this evening and and the invitation is extended and we examine ourselves and and we look at it and we say, there's that one thing I need to take care of. Are we going to? Are we going to not? Are we just going to stay there and leave this evening sorrowful because we know there's the one thing that we need to take care of. The Bible warns us, Matthew 6 and 24, that, that, that we can't have divided affections here. That, that I can't keep the commandments and, and cling to my possessions. It says you can't serve two masters because you're going to hate the one and cling to the other. The Bible warns us in Romans 12 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So tonight, if we know there's that one thing that's keeping us from obeying the gospel or that's keeping us from the right relationship, will we take care of it? And our last one, the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip. 
Philip being called by the Spirit and telling him to go down south to Gaza. And as he goes down uh, that way, he meets up with this chariot and he sees this individual in the chariot. And we learn that this individual is in the employee of the queen of Ethiopia, Candice. We learn that he has great authority. We learn that he's in charge of her treasury. We also learn that he's been to Jerusalem to worship. Philip notes that he's studying the prophets. And he, he asks him, he says, do, do you understand what you're reading? And his simple reply is, well, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And so the door is open for Philip. Philip joins him, picks up at the very scripture that he's reading, reviews it with him, and, and the Ethiopian says, okay, it's from Isaiah, and he's talking about the lamb being led to slaughter. And he says, well, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And so Philip took this opportunity, and he preached Jesus to that Ethiopian. Now the defining moment. As they're going down the road, they come to water. And Scripture says, Now as they went to the road that came to some water, the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? What do I lack? Philip said, If you believe, with all your heart you may. And he answered, and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went away rejoicing. So in this moment, we see the eunuch hearing the gospel, understanding there was something lacking, being instructed in what that is. And what did he do? He stopped right then, right there, and said, let's take care of this. And when he came up out of the water... He was rejoicing. The Bible tells us time and again how that even the angels in heaven rejoice when there's a sinner that comes to repentance. Luke chapter 15, verse number 7 and verse number 10 tell us about that. So, that brings us back to where we started. Now is the time when each and every one of us is hearing the imitation of our Lord. And we're all going to sit there and we are going to make an evaluation of where we are. At least I hope we are. That's been my intent. And as you do, you're going to ask these questions. What do I need to do? If I'm not right with the Lord, if I don't know beyond a shadow of doubt that I'm where I need to be, if I haven't obeyed the gospel, if there's something wrong, what do I need to do? How will I answer this moment? Are you going to wait? Are you just going to go away sorrowful, not doing what you know you need to? Or will you leave here this very night rejoicing? Our hope and our prayer is that it is rejoicing. And our honest desire is to help you in any way possible. So if you have a need, won't you come? while we sing our imitation song.